Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. I was looking um, when I wrote um, on the iPad and I apologize for having an iPad, but uh, on the calendar, the way it scrolls, um, this is March. I assume it's March now. I don't even know, but because it's March goes away and then April comes up, and and so I wrote down April the 27th. So and I, and I got to looking, and I April the 27th, and I just left it. So I, I need to change that. So I'm ahead only in mind. Um, mind only but what I want to speak about I just had a thought and um, this is probably the most uh, scripture that I've ever excuse me the most scripture that I've ever read uh, probably at one setting but the reason I do it is is to validate what I want to say Um, and my title is going to be to know him and that's my point um, I guess life is teaching me as I get older. Um, it's not just about going to church. I really want to know God. And I guess it's because I am getting, getting older in years. And, um, you know, it's really not enough just to say I went to church. What am I going to church for? I mean, and I, I love the experience that I have. I'm not saying I don't have one. I love the experience that I have. But really, when it comes to it, God lets me determine how much of an experience that I want to have. God leaves it up to me. He says, I'll, I'll give you all of me that you want. You determine how much you want. And then, we, and then life comes into the picture and everything else that life brings. So everything cr- tries to crowd that out. But God is not the one crowding that out. So all I'm saying is, is I want to know him more than I ever have and 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 the one that's hindering that the most it's the one you're looking at so I'm gonna go I'm gonna I'm gonna just a lot of these I've, I've tried to get marked ahead and they're gonna be some that you've heard thankfully because this is a, a Bible church that you have heard before but just try not to get ahead of me too much and second Peter Second um, Peter 1 and 20, which I'm, I'm going to just go. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but by holy men spake as they was moved on by the Holy Ghost. Now, the apostle is telling us first, the first thing that we need to do as Christians is to settle this. Knowing this first, he said, no prophecy 
when a, a man that's anointed of God, when the pastor gets up and preaches, he's not giving you his philosophy. It's not of any private interpretation. That's why I said this is a safety net for us as Christians. Because if a man gets up and he's, there's two things that can happen. If he gets up and says, you know, God spoke to me that nobody else knows. And he's preaching doctrine, not just a thought. He's preaching doctrine. Well, just get up and leave or turn the radio off. Because that's not the will of God. That's not Bible. Or if he is preaching something that does not align to what's in the Bible. Because God's not going to give one of his anointed men something that don't line up with this. So that's why the apostle said, you can settle this. You can settle it right now. It is not somebody's opinion. It is not something that just dreamed up. And it says, it came not in the old time by the will of man. In other words, they were just sitting around and said, you know what? I got a good thought. Let me put that down. It goes right back to the ship on the ocean. If there's no wind, the ship doesn't move. So it's, it's, it's saying like the, the, the prophet wasn't just sitting there. The prophet had to wait for the spirit to move him. Just like the boat on the water couldn't move unless the wind, the breath of God moved it. So the prophet waited for the breath of God to move him. Then he took the pen and went to writing. So that's the way he said. They spake as they was moved on by the Holy Ghost. But now, everything that we see, we fight. We just, uh, we believe and teach. And I believe the Bible backs it up clearly that there's only one God. And there's only, there's one spirit and one body. Do whatever you want to. That's it. The Holy Ghost is the Spirit of God. There is no other way to look at it. Now, you have to be baptized in Jesus' name. There is no other way to look at it. God would not confuse us on this. If he wanted us to be baptized any other way, there would be a record of it. Here's what scares me. And I'll just address the elephant and leave it alone. The reason you baptize in the name of Jesus, you invoke the name, is for one reason. That's the remission of sins. That's for the forgiveness of sins. Okay, I'm going to say it. What about the millions that's been baptized where the name of Jesus was not invoked over them? You answer that yourself. All that I know the Bible says, for remission of sins, you must repeat the name of Jesus. When you baptize and do not invoke that name of authority... No name, no remission. Don't get mad at me. This is what the Bible says. We are one God and we baptize in the name that this book says. So that's what we do. Now, the Bible tells us, I spoke a little bit of this. I, in fact, I mentioned it the last time I spoke. In Matthew, uh, Matthew 22, they did this. Um, Matthew uh, 22, 35, then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him. He said, which is the great commandment? Uh, which is the, the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, thou shalt love the Lord with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love the Lord thy neighbor as thyself. On these two hang the commandments, all the law, and that's where I left it off. Now, and I used the door. Jesus said... If the door, I'm using this, if the door was the law, everything hung on the door. And, but Jesus said, on these two commandments hang all the law 
But here's what I didn't say. And the prophets. So that's where we got to start. First, we got to get this. We got to love the Lord with God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That there be no idolatry in our life. And we got to love Joe as much as we love ourselves. If we don't do these two, then whatever the prophet preaches or whatever the book says ain't going to be of no effect to us. That's what Jesus said. That's not what I said. Everything hinges on these two. Everything, the law and the prophets is all hinged on this. So if we do that, if we can get these two start with, then everything else, just like that door swinges, uh, uh, moves. It don't take nothing to move it. The hinges has it. Regardless of the weight of the door, God said, you worried about the 613 commandments. Don't worry about that. Start with these two, then you'll have it. And Jesus says he does this. And he, he takes off and he says, everything is hanged here, hanged here. So now I want you to look or just read with me. Just follow me. In 6 and 4, it says here, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thy heart. Now this, I know you've heard it a hundred times or more. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and thou shalt talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you rise up, or when you lie down and when you rise up. Now, Jesus is saying, I want you to do this. I want you to hear first, there's only one God. Hear always of the Lord our God is one Lord. If you sit down, if you rise up, if you lay down, and when you get up, be telling this to your children, because this can't end with you. You got to be putting this in another generation. Now, what I want to tell you, where the Bible says, teach this diligently unto your children. Now, what that means is to sharpen. It's just like the kid that comes home. What do you learn in school today? Nothing. Well, how many times have you let your head hit your pillow and say, with, regarding your own children, <laughs> how much did I get through today? But I'm telling you, keep doing it. Keep sharpening. You take the sword and you just, just physically, if you had a knife locked in it and you made one pass, did it make a difference? Yes, it did. You just keep, you just keep sharpening that sword. Teach this to your children. I don't care what the world says. We're going to go with what the Bible says. Keep sharpening. Keep sharpening. When your head is a pillar and it looks like, I didn't make a bit of difference in the world. God said, you keep sharpening. Because one of these days, the world's going to tell them different from what they've been told. And then they're going to realize, you know what? I got a two-edged sword. And believe me, it's sharp. I can have an answer what they try to give me. Because day by day, the sword has been sharpened. That's diligently. That's what it means to sharpen. And sometimes we look at it, it's just like you go through it, you're teaching your children, you're teaching whoever, and it looks like you've made no, it just seemed like you hadn't made no progress. But God said, you do it. If you're sitting down and you get up, you're laying down or when you rise up, you keep sharpening. You are making that blade sharp. Your sword sharp, you're doing it. Now, Jesus told them, he said through... Um, Exodus, 
This is the first one. I'll just read Exodus 1 through, uh, Exodus 20, 1 through 3. God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Now, no other gods before me. Now, our God, we think a lot in human terms, but he said, have no other gods before me. In other words, that ain't, that ain't like you. If, if God was here and you set a God in front of him. God is omnipresent. He is everywhere. So when you take and let something else, as we would literally say as a minister said, come between you and God, it's before God. So he said, don't have no other gods before me. I'm the only one. He repeatedly told Israel time and time again in the Old Testament, there is only one. When you go through these towns, don't look at all the idols they have. Don't look to their gods. Don't give your sons and daughters to them because I and I alone, and I believe that literally where God said he was a spouse to Israel, and that's where he accused them of spiritual idolatry. I and I alone am enough for you, and you are constantly Gazing over the fence like I'm not enough for you. I am the only one. There is no other gods beside me. So he's telling them this. Now, he spoke through his prophets. I want to read. I'll start. I want to read a few. Uh, uh, read a, a few. I'll start in uh, Isaiah 42 and 8. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory... Will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images? God said, it's me, and I won't allow it to happen. Now, he takes and he says, I am the Lord, right there, that means Jehovah. It's used 6,519 times. I believe he told Israel enough who he was. That name is not used nowhere else and applied to nothing but God. I am Jehovah. I am the Lord. So he took, now, 44 and 6. Now, I want you to notice this verse. Isaiah 44 and 6. 700 years before the birth. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah's telling them, he's coming. This is mentioned in both of them. Flesh and spirit. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, the Spirit. And his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first and I am the last. And besides me, there is no God. God said, you got the spirit and you've got the flesh because I am coming in fleshly form. Now, I'm going to 24. Thus saith the Lord again, thy Redeemer. He hath formed thee from the womb. I am the Lord that maketh all things, that stretch forth the heavens alone, that spreadeth abroad the earth by myself. He is just telling them. I mean, it just, like I say, over 6,000 times. And I'll read one more. 45 and 12. I have made the earth, created man upon it. I, even, I, even my hands have stretched out the heavens and all their host and all their host have I commanded. Now, this is what the Lord is telling them. Now, if you want to turn to Acts, you can. Acts 17. 
because we'll be here just a minute. This is where Paul, he's in Athens. <clears throat> the Bible says in Acts 17, Acts 17 and 16, he's waiting on Timothy and Silas. And he says, now, while he waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city was wholly given to idolatry. Holy given to idolatry. That's the only time in scripture that's used. There was so many idols. I've read it and there's various accounts, so I'm not going to quote no number. But the Bible says this place was consumed with idols. It was so bad. And it was so bad that it was says that his spirit was stirred in him. Now, Acts 17, when you take and read this, literally... Their response to him and what happens to him literally could been have written today. It's like the same, it's the same thing that we fight. It's just the idols are a little bit different, but the response is the same. Now, therefore disputed he with the he in the synagogue with the Jews, with the devout persons, and in the marketplace with them. When he met them, then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and the Stoics encountered him, and some said, What will this babbler say? Others, some, he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods. Listen. Now, notice this phrase. Because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. And they called him a babbler. And literally, some of these... <clears throat> When you look it up, look up the word babbler, it literally means a picker up of seeds. But uh, I would liken that to what they was, I mean, they, I believe they really ticked Paul off. Um, and that's, maybe that's my flesh. But what it would mean if you took us and put us, uh, put us in groups and let everybody have conversations and Paul was just going around just getting bits and pieces that's what it means. He was just picking up bits and pieces of conversation that he didn't have enough sense to have an original thought. He was just a babbler. He couldn't put no thought together. He was just picking up seeds is the way they were saying. This is what they called him because he preached unto him Jesus. Now this is, oh, you're showing me something across the street? I can't see it for all the idols you have. You call me a babbler? And because I preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection, not only Jesus, but he rose from the dead. Wait a minute. <laughs> this dude's crazy standing in the middle of idols. That's why I say the reaction is the same. But it's just like, you know, oh, you believe in one God? Well, you're different from everybody else. No, they're different from us. We match the Bible. So Paul is telling them that he says this. The Epicureans, they was the one. Let me see. Okay, pleasure was their chief good. The Stoics, everything was governed by fate. And really, they even thought God was governed by this fate. They was just, and they're calling Paul a babbler. So I, I don't really see how he took it. But anyway... And they took him and brought him to Areopagus, which that's just, that's just Mars Hill. 
May we know this new doctrine whereof thou speakest this. For thou biggest, um, for thou for thou bringest uh, certain strange things to our ears, and we would know therefore what these things meant. And twenty one, look at this. For all the Athenians and strangers which were spent their time in nothing else but to tell or to hear something or to hear some new thing. Now here's Paul trying to deliver a truth to them, and they say, you know what? We hadn't heard something in a while, so come on over here to Mars Hill. And so they take him up to the council and just say, hey, we got something for everybody. They're literally making fun of him is what they're doing. And then Paul, before it's over, he'll address them. So he stood in the middle or in the midst of oh, 22. He stood in the, in the midst of Mars Hill and said, ye men of Athens, I perceive in all things you are too superstitious. You reckon? With all the idols? And I passed by, beheld your devotions, and I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship and declare I unto you. Now, literally, and I don't really mean to be sarcastic, but I'm trying to make a point. With them was so many idols... They was fearful. Lest we forget a deity, we have got to erect an idol and put it up and just put to the unknown God in case we forget one because if he's out there, he may take vengeance on us and we wouldn't want that to happen. The other 30,000 we got up might not cover it. So we might, we got to have a safety net. So you got that, and then Paul is sharing the truth of Scripture, and they're making fun of him. I'm telling you, that's where we're at. We're upside down in our world. If you stand for truth and holiness and righteousness, you are just put out as out there, and it's just like they're standing in the middle of idols, not knowing that God is fixing to take vengeance on this world like man has never seen, but calling him crazy. And they're standing in these idols. So Paul said, but he starts on their level. Now he's dealing with pagans. 24, God that made the world and all things thereon, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he need anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. Now, Paul is telling them what I get from that. He dwelleth not in temple made with hands, and Paul is telling them neither is he worshipped with men's hands. He's talking to them, and they in the middle of all these idols, and he is saying, you know what? Do you think you're worshiping these gods that you go out there and you erect a statue? God is not worshiped that way. And Paul is trying to tell them, you know, if he could go back to Isaiah, where God said, I formed you in the womb. And Paul is saying, I believe Paul was saying, 
God has not worshipped with men's hands. We worship the God that made us with his hands. And they're saying, you know, I, you know I'll just make a statue and put up some deity on it, some Greek mythology name on it, and therefore I'm covered. And Paul said, no, God has not worshipped with your hands that way. So he's telling them this. And then he said, and hath made one blood of all nations of men to dwell on the face of the earth and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. Listen, that they should seek the Lord if happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not very far from us. Now, he said, For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain of your own poets have said, there was two of them, for we, are, for we are his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the God is like unto gold or silver or stone or graven by art and man's device. Paul said, you're doing it the wrong way. You look at it like you're worshiping God by erecting all these idols. And I believe that he knew that he was people dealing with a people that did not know and did not know how to relate to God, so to speak. He was in Athens. Maybe this is how they thought they were supposed to do it. I don't know. But all I know is the Bible says that his spirit was stirred within him. And, and, and then how he really reacted when they started, you know, looking at him like he was a fruitcake, I don't really know. But I believe Paul was trying to get through to them, and I believe that's why he started... Uh, back when he did, when he start, started talking about the creation of the earth, we are the offspring of God. Therefore, but he said, you can't liken God to anything that you have crafted with your hands. Now, this is a verse that we always read. And at times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commandeth that all men everywhere to repent. Now, look at 31. Because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he has given assurance unto all men in that he has raised him from the dead. So that's why they called him crazy, because he preached Jesus to them and the resurrection. So Paul said, he's given us assurance. He's came, he walked among us, he died, he rose, He's coming again. He's given that assurance. But this, you don't have to buy into this. But this is my opinion on this. At times, because, and this is why I think, this is why I believe in dealing with this, you're dealing with a city that is so consumed in idol worship. And God said, through Paul, at times of this ignorance, God winked at. To wink is to overlook. But now we are on the other side of Calvary. But now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. I believe, it is of my, of my belief, that this repent is to repent of the idolatry. Sure, I believe that you need to repent of your sin. But I believe that what Paul was telling them 
is that you need to repent of the idolatry that you are doing. We're on the other side of Calvary, and God said to overlook, to overlook it at times of this ignorance. God winked at it. He overlooked it. You're talking to, to Gentiles. I don't believe this never, ever applied to Israel. God told him from the very beginning, there's only one God. Don't you look anymore. And I believe the Gentiles, God was patient with them, just like the people at Athens right now. But we're on the other side of Calvary. Jesus rose from the dead, and I believe Paul was telling them, I'm going to hold you accountable. You must know who I am. I am Jesus. I'm God manifested in the flesh. And therefore, I looked at this. I overlooked it, but I ain't overlooking it no more. God commandeth everyone to repent. And I believe what better of a place to do it is when you're standing at your elbow to elbow in a city of idols. Because just like is you're just looking everywhere and everywhere you look, the people is consumed with idol worship. So God is saying, I had not changed. All I'm saying is my grace is over concerning who I am. I'm going to do this. Now, what I want to do, I want to turn, I want you to turn to, if you want to, if they would, I want them to put Revelation up, Revelation 1-1, and just leave it up. Now, the Bible tells us this is the most revealing book there is in the Bible. The most revealing. Now, the first, very first phrase, it says the revelation of Jesus Christ. It does not say the revelation of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. It says the revelation of Jesus Christ. Then it goes on to say, which God gave unto him. What I believe this is, starting from the very beginning... Is God saying, this is the full disclosure of who I am. The full revelation of who I am. And then he said, he said, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. That word to show means to expose to the eyes. Now, but this is scripture. How can you see scriptures? The same way that God opened the understanding of his disciples. There was times when they could not see a scripture. The Bible talks about literally he opened their understanding. So I believe that's what must be applied here to show unto his servants. If there's something all through, I don't think that just applies to Revelation. I believe that when we get, the, when we get something or life has forced us in a corner, we can go to the Bible, and then God can show us something that we need. He can give us a word. But I believe the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, this is the flesh, and this is the spirit. This is God proving once and for all who he is. And he's doing it for that purpose, to reveal it to his servants. He's showing to his servants. Now... What I will do, I know I've given you a lot of scripture, but I'll end with this, and I love this. 
we read this a lot. You hear it a lot. And if you would, I'll just go ahead and ask you to stand. The first verse is, it says it, um, in Acts 20, excuse me, in Psalms 20. This is a verse that we normally quote from that, from that small chapter. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Now, when you read on that, I read all I could find. And this, what I could find out is this, when you read at the beginning, it says a Psalm of David... But what they believe this is was a collection, just a small portion of where the, David was fixing to go into war. They was fixing to go into battle, and David was listening to his warriors. They was praying for their king, David. He was fixing to go into battle. So they had went to the king of kings for prayer, and they believe that Psalm 20, there's more of them like this but they believe Psalm 20 is one of them that where David just took and composed a few of the prayers of the warriors praying for their king now I'll just read two more verses I'll start at uh, Psalms 20 verse 2 they said send help from the sanctuary and strengthen thee out of Zion verse 6 now I know now know I that the Lord saveth his anointed, and he will hear from him from his holy heaven, and with the saving strength of his, uh, of his right hand, because some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. That's what we got to remember. They can do what they want to do, act like they want to act. But just like he told us in Deuteronomy, making a difference. Sharpen that baby. It might look like, well, did the blade get any sharpener? I promise you, when the enemy attacks you, you got a double-edged sword there. <laughs> That'll back him up. Because that's exactly what it means. Sharpen it. Sharpen it. Don't matter what you're doing. Just keep sharpening that sword because I promise you it will work. God is God and there's only one. Hallelujah. And I thank him for it. God bless you. Well, there's nobody up here. <laughs> well, the ship is going down. <laughs> okay, y'all pardon me. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Let's ask God to seal this. Hallelujah. I've joked around a little bit, but I'm dead serious. I promise you, I'm dead serious. Hallelujah. Father. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. 
For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.